Thanks for joining us for this message from Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. We pray that you are blessed by it. If you'd like to know more about Shades Valley and its ministries, you can visit us at shadesvalley.org. The scripture for today's sermon is Acts 6, 1-7. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to receive tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmeus, and Nicholas, and a proselyte, proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's, uh, let's pray together. So, Father, we are grateful for your word. We are grateful for the many ways in which it reveals you for the practical instruction that it provides for our good. And I pray that this morning we would see both of those things. We would see more clearly you as the good giver who has provided for us as your church. And through that we would be equipped practically to love and serve one another well. We pray these things for the good of your church and the glory of your name. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Amen. If you haven't had a chance yet, I do invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Acts, but not for a series through the book of Acts. If you're newer to Shades or if this is your first time here this morning, the typical way we approach our time in the Word on Sunday mornings is simply by walking through books of the Bible passage by passage. We just finished... Uh, the book of Ruth, not that long ago. Um, and in a couple of weeks, we will actually start into the book of 1 Corinthians. But we are going to take a two-week break. We do that from time to time to focus on certain things. Sometimes we take a break in order to focus on things about who we are as Shades Valley Community Church. Why do we do things the way that we do? That's what we're going to kind of do for the next two weeks, but in a different way than we've done before. Typically, if we take those kind of breaks, we talk about big picture things, like what's our purpose, what's our mission, how how do we approach worship and community and all of these different things. Well, for the next two weeks, we're actually going to focus on something very specific here at Shades. We are going to focus specifically on deacons. Yay. (laughs) And there was much rejoicing. You may be thinking, Jonathan, why would we do that? We don't even have deacons at Shades. Well, that's kind of true and kind of not. Uh, For many, many years, we have had at Shades Valley what we call servant leaders. Everyone who leads one of our ministry teams, they are a servant leader. 
Just to tell you all of our current servant leaders, Joe Stores, who leads the facilities team, Doug Abernathy, Finance, Annabeth Reese, Greeters, Shay Wall, Global Mission, Corey Cruz, Security, Amy Ross, Arts, Park Stallcup, Prayer, Becky Weldon, Special Connections, Liz Besserone, Gomez Coffee, Joni Ford Food Pantry, Mike Grant, Ushers. Those are all of our current servant leaders. Now, does anyone know what the term deacon, diakonos, it's a Greek word, does anyone know what it means? Somebody does, and they don't want to say it loud enough. Yes, it means servant. Deacons are those who lead out in serving. They are servant leaders. So, for years, as we've done new members classes and things like that, when I'm going over our leadership structure, I'll be like, here are our servant leaders. They are basically our deacons. So, we've kind of had deacons, but maybe you're still asking, like, why do we need to spend two weeks talking about them? And more importantly, Jonathan, what does any of that have to do with me? Three things. Three reasons why this matters and specifically why it matters for you. Three things. The Bible, the church, and you. Number one, the Bible. Deacons are one of two official offices described in Scripture. The other one is elders. And here's the deal. If the Bible only hands us these two and it takes both of those very seriously, then we need to do the same. And we need to do everything that we can to align ourselves with the Bible's teaching, which is what we're aiming to do through this series. Yes, everyone brace themselves. We are aiming to move towards officially having deacons at Shades Valley Community Church. And that's because of number two, the church. The church. I hope what we'll see today is that deacons are a gift to the church. Like whatever you've, like maybe you have no conception of what deacons are, or maybe you, like me, you grew up being given a particular vision of deacons, and it was not exactly awesome. Like whatever the case, I pray that what we'll see today is that deacons are a gift given to the church for the church's good and for the spread of the glory of God. Without them, the health of the church will actually suffer. And, and let me be very clear when I say that. Our servant leaders who have served for all of these years and who are currently serving, I'm not saying oh, we're suffering because they are not actually considered deacons technically. No, they have done an amazing job. They have failed in no way. I have failed. I have failed in leading us towards embracing the full function of deacons in the life of the church. Our servant leaders do an amazing job, but the biblical vision of deacon is even greater for them and for us. So I want us to take time to focus on this, not just because the Bible tells us to have deacons, but because I believe it will make Shades Valley healthier in a way that our servant leaders, our deacons, will feel themselves and in a way that I believe you will feel as well. Which brings us to the third thing that makes this matter. And that's you. So the Bible, the church, and you. This mini-series is important for you, even if you never serve as a deacon. This mini-series is important for you because the act of serving in and of itself includes all of us. This, this series, it's, it's not just about an office. The office of deacon is meant to serve as a, a model 
a model for the rest of us so that we can see what serving is supposed to look like and be equipped to serve our, ourselves. So, for all of these reasons and more that we don't have time to get into, we're going to spend two weeks talking about deacons. And we're going to aim to answer two fundamental questions. Number one, what are deacons? And number two, who are deacons? For the rest of this morning, we're just going to tackle question number one. Everyone is like so jazzed about this. Thank you. Here we go. What are deacons? To answer that question, let's dive into the passage where deacons began. That's Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Begin reading with me. Verse 1. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number. Stop right there for just a minute. Luke is the author of this book. Luke, our author, is setting the stage for what's about to unfold. He's like, here's the scene, okay? In these days. What, what days? The days when the number of disciples were increasing. In other words, the days he's been describing in chapters 1 through 5. You read Acts 1 through 5, and Luke has been describing for us the amazing first days of the early church. After the death, burial, resurrection, ascension of Jesus sent his spirit to fill his church. And Luke has been describing for us just the amazing things that have been happening as Jesus' followers have been empowered to, to share the gospel, to bear witness to it in word and deed. And it has been spreading. The number of disciples has been increasing and it has seemed like nothing can stop it. Not external persecution. You get to read about that in Acts chapter 4. And even in the face of Acts chapter 4, chapter 4 and verse 4 tells us that the number of disciples keeps on increasing. External persecution can't stop it. Not even internal deception. Chapter 5, we get like the first church scandal. Ananias and Sapphira lying to the Holy Spirit. But Later in chapter 5, we read that the number of the disciples just keeps on increasing. Whether, whether external persecution, internal deception, nothing seems to be able to get in the gospel's way and then we arrive at chapter 6. And Luke says it's in the midst of those days that the enemy tries his sneakiest strategy yet. He's tried overt persecution and overt scandal. Now he tries subtle division to get the church distracted. Read the rest of verse 1 with me. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Luke says in these days when everything seems to be going great with all the amazing stuff that's happening, all of that came under threat. A threat greater than persecution, a threat bigger than church scandal. What threat? Simple division. Something that could be seen as being so small and insignificant, like not a big deal at all. Luke is showing us just how big of a deal this is. Like when you read the last verse of this passage, verse 7, Luke echoes the language of verse 1. Did you notice that? Verse 1 starts out, in the days when the number of disciples were increasing. Verse 7 ends, and the word of God kept increasing, and the number of disciples kept multiplying. But what he's showing us in between those two verses is that verse 7 is not a foregone conclusion. There's an interruption. There's something in between 
that greatly threatens what's happening. Division has the potential to end the increasing of the disciples by dividing the disciples. So Luke wants to zoom in on the solution. And do you know what the solution is? His, his solution to division. Serving. Division often happens, not always, but often happens because someone is feeling not seen, not heard. They're feeling neglected, not served. And in this case, it's the Hellenists. Those are Greek-speaking Jews. Uh, Israel was not their native homeland. They'd grown up somewhere else in the Roman Empire. And they have a complaint against the Hebrews. That would be Aramaic-speaking Jews who did grow up in Israel. And between these two groups, they're both Jewish, but there's some cultural tensions between the groups. Uh, to put it in uh, our cultural context, think Democrats and Republicans. Both Americans... But who's more American? Both of these groups were Jews, but who was more Jew? And shocker, even after people from both of these groups became believers, these natural fault lines didn't just disappear. They were areas primed for division to still occur. That's not the case with us, with the whole Republican-Democrat thing. Those divisions just melt away when everybody puts their faith in Jesus. Not primed for division there at all. This is what we see happening right here in this situation. We see it happening with the daily distribution for widows. Now, we just got done in a study of Ruth, and so we talked about widows in the ancient world quite a bit. And we know that most widows in the ancient world were economically disadvantaged at best and absolutely destitute at, at worst. They were typically on the margins of society and uncared for. And so specifically in Israel, widows often depended upon almsgiving that would take place in the synagogue. Well, the problem for all of these Christian widows is they've been kicked out of the synagogue. So now they depend upon generosity amongst the church. And that's happening. When you read through the first five chapters of Acts, like, Believers are being very generous, giving towards helping one, one another. But the problem that we see surfacing in Acts chapter 6 is that all of that giving, all of those generous provisions, the problem is in the distribution. The distribution seems a little bit one-sided. And so the Hellenists legitimately complain about their widows being neglected. This is a powder keg. Like, like set to blow along a natural fault line that could permanently divide this church. What will the apostles do? Verses 2 through 4. The 12 summoned the full number of the disciples, everybody that's a part of the church. First, first church business meeting about to go down right here. Sermon, they summoned the full number of the disciples and they said, uh, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers and sisters, pick out from among yourselves seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer 
and the ministry of the word. Deacons. The apostles' answer to division is deacons. Now, you will search in vain to find the noun deacon in this passage. But the verb is here. Verse 2, if I was going to translate it very literally, it says, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to deacon tables. The, The concept of deacons is at the heart of this text. And by the end of the passage, with the whole laying on of hands things, it, it seems pretty clear that an official position is being created. And that position will come to be known as deacons. You can read throughout church history, all the way back to the second century AD, and the church has agreed. This passage, yep, that's where this whole deacon thing began. And so that's why this passage does a good job of showing us what a deacon is. That's our question, right? What are deacons. This passage, it gives us a five-fold answer. I've put it into one long sentence. We're just going to take it a piece at a time. So let's start with piece number one. What are deacons? Deacons are servants. Deacons are servants. We've already talked about how that's a literal translation of what the word deacon Means, But I also find it really significant that in this passage where deacons are created, that term never comes at us as a noun, but only as a verb. In other words, the passage does not in any way put the stress on the title deacon. It puts the stress on the act of deaconing, serving, because that's what true servants are concerned with. Not with their own titles, but with serving others. Deacons are servants. In other words, they are other-oriented. Is that not what we see through the three qualifications that the apostles say deacons should possess? Did you see that? They said, pick out from among yourselves seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit, and of wisdom. What does that mean in the context of this situation? Pick out those of, of good repute, of a good reputation. A reputation for what? A reputation that obviously is going to instill confidence in this whole congregation that these people aren't going to be partial. They're going to be fair. They're going to equally serve all. Why? Because they are full of the Spirit who empowers them to look past their own biases and to love the church well. This is a clear way we see the Spirit active in their life. These are people who love the church, and the Spirit also fills them with wisdom. Wisdom, the ability to navigate difficult situations in ways that aren't slanted towards themselves or playing favorites with anyone else. No, they are moving through these situations in wisdom aimed at the good of all. In other words, choose those with a reputation of serving empowered by the Spirit to serve, who have the wisdom to serve. Because that's what deacons are. Deacons are servants. Let's add the second piece to our deacon definition. Piece number two. Deacons are servants chosen by the church. Deacons are servants chosen by the church. That's what we see in verse three, right? Therefore, brothers and sisters, it's a generic term, kind of the way that 
A lot of people use the term guys in English. Hey, you guys, like, like it's just generally, hey, you people, brothers and sisters. Therefore, brothers and sisters, the whole congregation, pick. And that's what they do. Verses 5 and 6. And what the apostles said pleased the whole gathering. So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Perminus, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. That guy's not even a Jew at all. Nicholas is a proselyte. All these others are Greek names. Hellenists. Interesting. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed, and they laid their hands on them. The congregation chooses seven deacons who are affirmed and installed. That's what the laying on of hands was used for ever since Old Testament times. It's symbolic of setting someone apart and commissioning them for an official task. So they're affirmed and installed by the apostles who... The apostles at this time in Jerusalem, they're functioning as what will later become the office of elders. So they're like the elders of the Jerusalem church. Why, why does all of this matter? Why am I putting stress on the fact that the church itself was involved in choosing deacons? It matters for us because we at Shades Valley Community Church are what is called a congregational church. What that means is that the congregation, y'all, are our ultimate governing body. Not me, not the elders, us, all of us. It, technically, you have to be a member of Shades Valley, but that's a whole other thing. We can talk about that later if you want to. But the congregation is the ultimate governing body. Didn't everybody want to talk about church governance this morning? Yay. The reason this is important is it... I think that there is actually plenty of room and space for different denominations and different churches to choose different forms of church government. But you need to know why you do what you do. And we're seeing part of the reason behind why we do what we do right here in Acts chapter 6. This literally is, I know I joked earlier, but it's like the first church business meeting. And the whole congregation gets to decide who their deacons will be. Why? The goal of that is unity. Follow me. And instead of bickering against one another, that's what they've been doing. Instead of bickering against one another, the Hellenists and the Hebrews have to work together towards a solution and mutually agreed upon leaders. It is no small thing that the congregation is involved in this way. It is no mere formality. For those of you who've been a part of a congregational church, you've been at church business meetings, I know that sometimes we can feel that way. We vote on the budget, we vote to affirm elders, we vote to call a pastor, and all of that can just seem like a mere formality. It is not. It is a pulling together of all of us, collectively. It is, it is aimed at unity. It's it is coming together in unified commitment in order to put division to death. Even when a decision doesn't go my way. I, I don't know what y'all think about uh, the elders and how they operate and all of those kinds of things. But uh, I, I, this may shock you. I do not always get my way. Um, I have lost votes many times. 
And it's really fun to then get to be the one who has to announce the decision and not be able to, I, I have often wanted to be like, here's the elder's decision, and here on the screen is a split of exactly how the vote went. So please contact your, no, I'm just kidding. Anyway. Even in those situations, what it does for me is it, it calls me to trust that the Holy Spirit doesn't just dwell in me. He dwells in the whole church. And when the whole church is moving in this direction in wisdom, I'm called, unless it's clearly, blatantly, unbiblical and heretical, I'm called to submit. This pulls us together in unified commitment to put division to death. Deacons are servants chosen by the church. Let's add piece number three to this definition. Deacons are servants chosen by the church to support the ministry of the elders by meeting ministry needs. They are chosen, here's their task, to support the ministry of the elders by meeting ministry needs. Why, when this problem arose in Acts chapter 6, why didn't the apostles just take over the daily distribution themselves? Like, fine, y'all can't handle it, we're going to handle this, we're going to ensure that this is done fairly. Some pastors, some elders, they approach church ministry this way. I'm just going to do everything so I can make sure it gets done the way that I think it ought to be done. That is bad for everybody, for those pastors and elders and for the, the people. Why don't the apostles do that? They told us why in verse 2. Look at it again. It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to deacon tables. Now, do not read that through a modern lens. We read that and we put like sarcastic ears on as we hear that. And we think the apostles are like dissing on table service and seeing themselves as like superior to such a task. That's not what's happening at all. This passage as a whole reveals just how seriously they take this ministry. It's just not the ministry to which they have been called, with which they have been charged. They have a responsibility already that they dare not neglect. They have been called to lead in prayer and deaconing the word. That's actually what they say in verse 4. Look down at verse 4. Let me read it for you quite literally. We will devote ourselves to prayer and to deaconing the word. That's that verb right there. Uh, your ESV, if you've got one, translates it ministry. We'll devote ourselves to the ministry of the word. Do you know why it translates it that way? The word minister, ministry, it's Latin. Do you know what it's Latin for? Servant. It's the Latin version of deacon or deaconing. This is, this is why England across the pond calls all of their public servants ministers. And the different branches ministries because they're supposed to be areas of service. This is why pastors and people who've worked in churches have traditionally been called ministers. They're supposed to be seen as servants and ministry as serving. In other words, the apostles are not saying right here, we're not servants. Someone else needs to be. No, they're saying we've been called to be servants who feed and guide the church spiritually. And we can't neglect that calling. We need another kind of servant. 
who can do the important work, the vital work of serving the church's physical needs so that nothing is neglected, spiritual or physical. Thus, deacons were created to support the ministry of the elders. Deacons were not created to be elders. This was the version of deacons that I was presented with growing up. Deacons were like a board that ran the church. You will not find that anywhere in your Bible. It's not good for anybody. We need both of these gifts, both of these offices that God has given us in order that nothing be neglected, spiritual or physical care. Deacons were created so that the elders could focus on teaching, shepherding, spiritual oversight, and they can focus on all those things because the deacons meet all sorts of other important ministry needs. Needs right here like food distribution, which meant they also had to manage the gifts that the church was receiving and how they would be distributed. They had to manage caring for those on the, the margins. And this is just the tip of the iceberg. Just read throughout history. There's a lot in the church history. There's a lot more about deacons than you would expect. And the variety of deacon ministry you will see throughout church history, it is nearly endless and mind-blowingly powerful. Listen, listen to this quote from historian Charles DeWeese. He says, Deacons visited martyrs who were in prison, clothed and buried the dead, looked after the excommunicated with the hope of restoring them. They provided the needs of widows and orphans and visited the sick and those who were otherwise in distress. In a plague that struck Alexandria, Egypt in about 259 AD, deacons were described by an eyewitness as those who visited the sick fearlessly, ministered to them continually, and died with them most joyfully. Shades, this is not just about mere practicalities. Deacons don't just meet needs. They minister to needs. They, they meet them with servant-like love, with Jesus' love. Jesus was the ultimate servant. Jesus was the ultimate deacon. In, in Mark chapter 10 and verse 45, do you recognize these words coming off of Jesus' lips? I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Let me give it to you literally. Jesus says, I came not to be deaconed, but to deacon. He's the ultimate servant, the great deacon to whom all other deacons point when they serve in the way of Christ. And such Christ-like service has powerful results. That's what we see in the final pieces of our deacon definition. Let's add Piece number four. What are deacons? Deacons are servants chosen by the church to support the ministry of the elders by meeting ministry needs in a manner that promotes and protects the church's internal unity. This is the way, the manner in which they are to carry out their tasks. They do so in a way that promotes, fosters, and protects, guards, the church's internal unity. Is that, is that not the primary purpose of deacons that we see in this passage? Like, they're not here to merely solve a food distribution problem. They're here to solve a unity problem. Uh, author uh, Matt Smethurst, he's got a book uh, on deacons, a very helpful book, uh, creatively entitled Deacons. Um, and in his book, he calls deacons shock absorbers. Uh, this is what he says. Listen, he says, deacons 
should be those who muffle shock waves, waves, not make them reverberate further. Quarrelsome persons make poor deacons, for they only compound the kind of headaches deacons are meant to relieve. The best deacons are persons with fine-tuned conflict radars. They love solutions more than drama, and they rise to respond in creatively constructive ways to promote the harmony of the whole. That's the aim of their ministry. The harmony and the health of the whole church. That's why their qualifications in this passage, when, when the apostles were like, here's the kind of people you need to look for, that's why they don't just list out practical things. All right, you need people who are like good with spreadsheets and Excel, Excel who, can, who can take in all the resources and get the distribution right. No, no, the primary qualifications for these people are spiritual qualifications. Good reputation, full of the Spirit, and of wisdom. They do need to be able to solve problems. That qualification comes last. But even the way in which it's worded, wisdom, that is a spiritual category. They don't just need to be good at seeking out kind of normal, practical answers. But what is wise here? What will promote the unity of the church? Maybe this is why we get all seven of these deacons as coming from the crowd of the Hellenists. All of their names are Greek. That's probably not what anyone would naturally come up with. All right, we got this issue. We need to balance this thing. Let's get half Hellenists and half Hebrews. That way they can hold each other in check. Make sure the distribution's fair. No, they're like, let's, let's show the Hellenists who have felt neglected that they are not. Let's choose the best from among them. They're seeking thereafter the harmony of the, the whole. Deacon's ministry is mainly about promoting and protecting the church's unity. But that's not all. Let's add the fifth and final piece of our deacon definition, which is just fun to say, by the way, deacon definition. Sorry, these are the random thoughts that run through my head. I do have suspicions sometime if I've got some type of attention disorder because I can't help but share some of these things sometimes, but that's beside the point. Let's go. Whole thing, whole definition here. What are deacons? Deacons are servants chosen by the church to support the ministry of the elders by meeting ministry needs in a manner that promotes and protects the church's internal unity and external witness. The way they go about this serving ministry, it doesn't just promote and protect the internal unity of the church, it it promotes and protects the church's external witness. Without these deacons, the apostles would have probably gotten distracted from declaring the gospel. The church would have been divided. Their witness to the world would have fallen apart. But through these deacons, the world, Jerusalem, the surrounding city, they see much more than a solution to a food distribution issue. Jerusalem gets to see something they've never seen before, unity between Hellenists and Hebrews. 
And because of these deacons, the apostles were free to keep declaring the gospel that makes that kind of unity possible. And what was the result? Verse 7, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. You don't get verse 7 without verses 1 through 6. You don't get verse 7 without deacons. Self, sacrificial servants chosen by the church to support the ministry of the elders by meeting ministry needs in a manner that promotes and protects the church's internal unity and external witness. And perhaps now that we've gotten to the end of our deacon definition, you are thinking, Jonathan, all that's awesome, but I'm still wondering what does any of it have to do with me? Three things. The Bible, the church, and you. Number one, the Bible. Your Bible that you're holding, tells you about deacons because they are for your good. You need to know what they are lest you miss one of the means that God has given you for your spiritual health. And not just for your spiritual health, God has given us deacons for the health of the whole church. That's number two. Number two, the church Why does this matter for you? It matters for you as a part of Shades Valley Community Church. Throughout the years, some of you at Shades may have felt unheard or unseen. You might have felt like the widows in Acts chapter 6. And I think that part of the reason that you have probably felt that way is that I have tried to do what the apostles recognized they couldn't. I've tried to do everything. Not only is that unwise, but it exposes a sin of pride. And I confess that to you and ask for your forgiveness. This is one of the reasons we are moving to officially having deacons. I'm going to explain a lot more of what that's practically going to look like next week, but right now, right now, I just want you to hear the why. It is my hope that having deacons will result in greater care, less missed needs, and more unity. It's my hope that this helps you not just feel seen, but be seen. And heard in a way that draws you unifyingly in. That brings us to the third and final thing, third and final reason this matters the Bible, the church. Number three, you. This matters for you because what if? What if God is calling you into deaconing? Scratch that. God has called you into deaconing. At least in the general sense. Like we are all called to serve one another. And I pray, I pray that we've seen this morning how that is the very thing that promotes unity. When we get outside of ourselves and get outside of our own needs and in humility, count the needs of others more significant than our own. Not, not looking only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. Those are the words of the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 2. He wrote those to a church that was experiencing divisions. And how was he calling for unity? Through them serving one another. We are all called to such service. Some of us are even called to model it. 
to lead out in it. Perhaps the Lord is calling you. We'll explore that more next week when we ask the question, who are deacons? But, but this morning, I hope, I hope that by answering the question, what are deacons? I hope you've seen what this has to do with you, your church, and the unity that the Bible calls us to. Shades, ultimately, what are deacons? A gift. They are a gift from the Lord for the good of his church, for your good. And they are a gift not just for you. They are a gift that helps us accomplish our mission of reflecting the glory of God to the world. My prayer is that we will receive and embrace this gift that the Lord has given to us, this gift called deacons. Now go into the world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Honor all men. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering and share the gospel. Love and serve the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit, and may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with us all.